So I'm sharing this weekend a passage that I've been studying for a few weeks. And as I studied this passage, here's what I discovered. I need this message myself. It begins with me. But here's another thing. The more I read it, the more I realized you need this message. So together, as we start, let's just confess together, I need this message. You ready? Get ready. We're going to say it together right now. I need this message. Thank you for confessing that I'm not the only one who needs that message. I think I heard a couple of you say you need this message. But before it's over, I think maybe you'll discover that you need it too. So as I read and studied this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, I thought of, of, of something that reminded me of what this passage is teaching. Now, I go back to some pretty simple things when I'm trying to understand what Scripture teaches. And what I went back to is a, a kid's animated movie from a little over 10 years ago, a simple movie called Up. And there's a, a, a guy, well, he's a kid when it starts out. The opening montage has this kid who's a dreamer, and he dreams about being, being an explorer and discovering great things. And then there's this little girl, Ellie. The guy's named Carl. The girl's named Ellie. And Ellie is a dreamer too. And they get these, this great friendship. They grow up, still dreaming together. They fall in love. They get married. They grow older and older, still dreaming together and, and forming those dreams in that long opening montage. You see, you know, their life unfolding and they get older and older and they keep dreaming and they start saving money so they can pursue this dream far away in South America uh, to follow this explorer's ideas. Who, and, he, and theoretically, he never was able to discover what he believed and they were going to complete the dream. And then Ellie, in her older age, got sick, and she passed away. So in the opening montage, everyone's crying, and I'm thinking, seven, eight minutes in, oh my gosh, this is an hour and 47 minutes long. If it's like this all the way through, I don't know if I can do this. Well, you get through all that sad part, and that sets up the rest of the story. And so after that montage... Uh, with, with almost no conversation, then the movie kicks off with Carl as a grumpy, crotchety, old curmudgeon of 78 years old. And the neighborhood around him is changing. They're building these new high-rise looking buildings, and his and Ellie's little old house is the only one still sitting there with all of these fancy new buildings around it. And they keep trying to get him to move. They keep trying to get him to leave so they can build another one of those fancy high-rise buildings where his and Ellie's house was. Well, finally, there's something that pushes him over the edge. By the way, Carl, for years, evidently was a balloon salesman. I'm not sure how you support a family selling balloons, but in this movie, he did. And so he still has leftover inventory of the balloons, and he's had all he can take, can't take no more, and he sets sail. He, he hooks all of those balloons to his house, and his house goes what direction? Well, you sounded a little half-hearted about that. 
I can assure you, I watched the movie. That's the direction it went, up. That's where the title comes from. So he set sail. Now, let's back up for a moment. In the early part of this, there's this nice, repeatedly irritating little kid named Russell, a Boy Scout who who decides he is going to get his merit badge for helping the elderly. And Carl is the guy he's going to help, whether Carl wants it or not. Russell's going to help him. So the only fly in the soup is when Carl sets sail and his house starts going up. What he didn't know is Russell has come over to help the elderly and somehow is in Carl's house when it sets sail. And he's stuck with this nice but irritating little guy for the rest of the plot of this movie. Now, if you, wanna, if, if you didn't see it, then just go watch it. Subscribe to Disney Plus for a month or something. Whatever you need to do, watch the movie. It's 10 years old. You should have seen it by now. This one especially. But here's the thing that caused me to go back to this movie because there's three times there in this passage we're going to study today and we're going to apply to our lives. Three times in this passage, there's the word up related to our spiritual lives, related to the church of Jesus Christ. The scripture calls that church the body of Christ. It is not this building. It is not any other building that when we drive by, we go, oh, there's Fellowship of the Rockies Church or there's whatever church. No, that's not really the church. That's just the building where a church meets because the Bible tells us clearly that the church is made up of those who have been born again, those who have chosen to repent of sin and give Jesus Christ their life and let him come in. That's the church. And this passage is about the church and the dream, the desire, the plan God has for his church. And so as I thought about those words up and this movie popped into my head, the parallel for many of us also clicked for me because the sad thing to me was this. Carl and Ellie had dreams and they were grandiose. They were great. They even saved toward those dreams. But in that opening montage, you see life just kind of keeps getting in the way getting in the way and sidetracking them from what could have been the very most important and significant part of their lives together. And so, as hilarious as the movie is, for me, there's this sad thread that runs through it. Carl's doing all of this by himself. Yeah, he's got the irritating little kid, Russell. But he could have done a chunk of this with Ellie, the love of his life. And here's the thing that I thought. The Bible paints a picture for us, the church, of what God desires, what he dreams, what he deeply wants for us. And we far too often, myself included, I said this, ser- this sermon begins with me, far too often we let the busyness of life and all of these other things come in and then we, we can end up an old curmudgeon like Carl saying, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I had gone with God's plan because that would have been so 
much better, so much more fulfilling, so much more joy-filled than what I went with. And so, let's jump into this passage because it pictures what God's desire, dream if you will. I don't know if God dreams, okay? But I know he has a plan and it's a perfect plan. And how we can keep from letting life get in the way and how we can get on his plan because here's his desire for us. Always that we move up to the next level. Up to the uh, next level of loving him. Up to the next level of loving his word. Up to the next level of loving other Christians. Up to the next level of loving people who are not yet Christians who desperately need to know Jesus so they can have that forgiveness and eternal life. And so, I'm going to read two sentences. Now, if you've studied the Bible much and you know the Apostle Paul, you know two sentences can go on forever. And one of the two sentences in this passage does just that. And so, I'm not going to just read the whole thing. I made the mistake at 5 o'clock service last night of reading the whole thing. 27 people fell asleep during the first sentence. Your eyes will glass over, and you'll, you'll be trying to grasp one phrase, and I'm moving to another phrase, and another phrase, and another phrase, still in the same sentence. And so what we're going to do is just take it phrase by phrase and understand what the Apostle Paul, guided by God's Holy Spirit, wrote for us, for the church. And so that's the way we're going to jump into it so we can understand how God wants to move us up continually to next levels. So I'll begin Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, and we're going to read about six or seven verses, 11 through 16, and we're pretty much just going to stay right there this morning until we have grasped the things God wants to teach us for this. So, in the beginning, verse 11, it says, and he, God, gave the, and here's a list of gifts, assignments he gave to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, every time you see shepherds, you can put pastor in there, okay? Shepherds and teachers, and that shepherds and teachers really is kind of like a slash words, uh, pastor, teacher. It's not separate things necessarily. In, in the, the original language, it seems to come out as uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. So he gave those. And today, in general practice, in most churches, any of you have ever been around, any that I've ever been around, we largely go with pastor teachers. Not that there is no such thing as an apostle, not the 12 apostles, but uh, the function of an apostle or a prophet or evangelist in the church, but largely we function with pastor teachers. So we're going to apply this to pastor teachers. Right up front, I want to tell you, there are other shepherding people in this church besides the pastors who are on our staff. We have life group leaders 35 to 50 something of our life group leaders who shepherd groups of people in our church. They fulfill some of these same functions. So they multiply the ministry of the pastors who are on staff. So this goes beyond 
the handful of us who are on staff who are called pastors. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Your head this way. Okay. So here's what those pastor teachers are supposed to do. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So the first up we have in this message is pastors are to build up. Build up. Let's look at it here in verse 12. It says, pastors are to equip the saints. Oh, by the way, every time you see the word saints, don't think of those uh, statues in, in some little, uh, um, in, set in a wall or whatever of somebody representing somebody who was voted on by some religious authorities to say they're above everybody else. That's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible, when the Bible uses the word saints, it's speaking of every person who has been born again. And Jesus calls us, the New Testament calls us, saints. And because we've been given his righteousness, his salvation. So, the pastor is to equip the saints and build up the body. The picture here is of equipping is give, give people the tools they need. And then the building up is Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's that basis. We don't have to build that. But on top of that, we're constantly building the structure called the church. We're helping people. We're equipping and building so people can know God's word, know the truth, and they can grow more and more into what the body of Christ, that structure, looks like. Now, how long are pastors supposed to keep doing this? Verse 13 tells us. Verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and it goes on to say a whole bunch of other things that we're supposed to keep teaching, keep equipping, keep building up until these things happen. Here's what I would say to you, always. There will never be a time in, in human history when every Christian knows everything they need to know about God's Word because God is so far above us that we'll spend our life comprehending His Word and we'll still be learning and growing. And we will always be forever with the assignment of helping people know the Lord. Come to know the Lord and grow in the Lord. Because verse 13 says it this way, until all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, it will never be complete. I call that job security. Until the day I die, God called me to teach, to preach, to tell others, to equip, and to build up. And even if the time comes that I retire by American standards, that will not release me from the calling, the assignment, that any time I have the opportunity to tell somebody truth from God's Word, I'm still supposed to be equipping and building up. It's a calling for life. It doesn't just go away if I'm doing something else temporarily. It is a compulsion from God. And I assure you that our life group leaders have that kind of calling from God for those people who are in their life group, they're shepherding them, they're encouraging them. And so we have dozens and dozens of people in this church who already are doing this shepherding, pastoring kind of assignment, and they are to build up 
I can assure you of this as pastors. We've accepted that assignment. We're not going to be perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we've accepted that assignment. We're going to take it seriously, and we're going to give it all of our effort. Pastors are to build up the saints, the Christians. The second up that's in this passage is that Christians should grow up. Now, before you think for one second that I'm using this in the way we often use it with people, we'll look at somebody who just said something foolish or did something childish, and we'll say, would you just grow up? That, this is not that. This statement can sound like, oh, Christians should grow up. That's not it at all. It's much more like this. As those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those are Christians, then what we should be doing is continually growing and growing and growing up because the Lord will continually invest in us. He will continually work in us and through us, and he will do what we allow him to do, and what he wants to do is keep growing us up. It's a present tense verb, grow, that has continuing ongoing action until we die. That's the kind of picture here. So, you're asking, how do I grow up? Let me, let me walk through this phrase by phrase and just skip through till we get to, in verse 15, the, one of the heavy hitters that I want us to really pay close attention to today. But Paul, uh, guided by the Holy Spirit, remember, says this to us, that we need to come to unity of the faith, not always agreeing but agreeing that God has a perfect will, and we're all going to seek that. And while we're seeking to know God's will, by the way, we're going to get along with each other. We're going to love each other. That's what unity is. It's not always agreeing. So put that out of your mind. So unity is important to God. So Paul puts that in the mix. Knowledge of the Son of God is in there. He puts that in the mix. How do you get knowledge of the Son of God? You read His Word. Do not sit somewhere and just think on your own and hope God drops it into your mind. He does it. He's chosen to do that through His Word. And so, the way we have knowledge for the Son of God is constantly, constantly, constantly feeding ourselves on God's Word. That's why we life journal here at Fellowship of the Rockies. And if you need to know more about life journaling, someone at the information desk can help you, one of our pastors, a life group leader, any number of people here. We have hundreds of people who are life journaling. We do that because it helps us, every one of us, feed ourselves each day. Because if we're depending on the weekend service, you come Saturday or Sunday and say, you know, the way I get my spiritual food is I go and I listen to Pastor Charlie each week, and that fills me up for the week. Now, I've heard those kind of things. Here's what that's like. That is like me on a Saturday evening at 5 o'clock or Sunday morning at 9 o'clock dropping into McDonald's and saying, you keep the Big Macs coming for the next half hour. I'm going to eat all I can because this is my meal for the week, and it's got to sustain me. First of all, when I waddle out of there, I'm going to have so much cholesterol in my body that I'll probably die on the spot. But nobody eats that way. 
Nobody nourishes themselves physically in that manner. We think that's a foolish example, a crazy example of somebody going and eating once a week until they're just so gorged that it's supposed to last them for seven days. No. What we do is each day we eat two or three meals. Uh, We nourish ourselves each day. That's why we want to have the knowledge of the Son of God. That's why we life journal here. And we're trying to attain to, he says here, mature manhood. Now, he happens to be writing to the men of this church, the elders, the leaders of this church. But if he had been writing to women, he would have said manhood and womanhood. So nobody's left out here. To the measure, and here's one of those phrases, the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what that means? Being like Jesus. And so he says, to the measure. Here's here's what measure means. I'm not saying, well, I'm going to choose this person or this person because I, I think I can come out ahead of that person. I think I can make my life look better than them. I'll compare myself against them. That's not our measurement. Here's the measurement. The measurement is this. I came into the Christian life back there. And today... I don't feel like I'm doing that great, but I'm going to do an accurate measurement, and I'm going to look back when God drew a line in the sand and said, Dwayne, will you trust me for your salvation? And on July 22nd, 1972, I stepped across that line. That's when my journey of following Jesus began. So I look back to that day, and there have been many lines in the sand since then when God said, Dwayne, will you believe me and follow me and do this? And when I said yes and stepped across another line, another line, another line, and I watched him do in me what I could not possibly do myself. So today standing here, miles away from that first day when I stepped into the faith, into the family, I can say, oh my, today didn't look so good when I look at today. But look where God has brought me from. I'm constantly measuring to see what God has done, what he wants to do. Then it says, so that we may no longer be children. Don't be childish. Don't be infants spiritually. And then he gives a picture of a spiritual infant. Tossed to and fro. We don't say to and fro. Tossed here and there. By waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now, Don't let that big word doctrine fool you. It's just a two-syllable word, but I used it this past week with a group of people, and and they said, don't expect us to know that doctrine stuff. Let me change the word. Teaching. Should I know, should you know what the Bible teaches about the significant things of life? I say yes. Absolutely yes. And the way we know it is we read his word and we allow his Holy Spirit to teach us. Because otherwise, we'll have this picture happening in our lives. We'll be carried about by every wind of doctrine. That is, somebody says, well, I just believe that God wants us to be happy. So whatever I want in order to be happy, that's what God wants. And there's that, that wind of teaching, that wind blows through. And if we say... Maybe that's right. Here's what happens. That wind blows us this way. And and suddenly, we're off course. Because the Bible says, here's the truth. 
about what God wants. He wants us to be holy. And that beats being happy any day of the week. So don't let every wind that blows through blow you off course. Here's the wind he's talking about. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's talking about doctrine or teaching that doesn't line up with the Bible. And then, all of a sudden, he gets to what I think is a real biggie here. He says, rather, he's setting it in comparison. Don't do that. Do this. Don't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. But with each other, Christians to each other. Because this is about Christians growing up. He said, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Christ, who is the head. Remember, Jesus Christ is the head of that body. The church is called the body of Christ. So he says, speaking the truth in love. Listen, we can speak the truth, but we can speak it like a whip. We can say, this is the truth. You need this. And what happens out of that is hatred, ill will, fights, anger. Or we can say, I really love this person. I'm afraid to tell them the truth. And we go on and on and on and never tell them the truth. The first one is just harsh and causes hatred. The second one seems to be kind, but there's never any growth, and it lets us and others stray off of the path that God has set for us, and that path is called truth. Speaking the truth in love is how we grow up into Christ. So as Christians, we grow up, and we help each other grow up. We're not going around like some know-it-all saying, hey, dude, stop doing that. You're a moron. No, we just speak what God speaks from his word lovingly and we help each other and we help others knowing that the next day or the next moment we may be the ones who need truth with love that's what we're to do we grow up and we begin serving others and walking with God listen every one of us can do this because he promises that he will help and every one of us can begin doing this today we can Grow up. The third up is this, and I'll be quick with this one, but listen closely. If you have ever thought, I wish I could do this or that, or, oh my goodness, the church desperately needs to be ministering to these people or this person or these kind of people. If you have ever had those thoughts, let me tell you what I believe that is. I believe that's God's Holy Spirit saying to you the third up. And that is leaders need to step up. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word leader here, but I'm going to show you in a moment how he's talking to those who lead the church. What keeps most people from following that Holy Spirit prompting is they're afraid of failure, they're afraid of criticism, and they're afraid that they are inadequate. And the truth of it is, we are inadequate. Only Jesus Christ working in us 
and through us can accomplish the kinds of things he calls us to. So, verse 15 says it this way. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then let's focus on verse 16. Here's the body. Christ is the head. And then he says, from whom the whole body. So all of a sudden, we're not considering the head. We're considering the rest of the body, the whole body. Joined and held together by every joint from which it's equipped. The joints, the muscles, the ligaments, the tendons that hold this part of the arm to this part of the arm, this part of the leg to this part of the leg. I submit to you, and this is not just some secular leadership talk. This is God's word about this church and every church on the face of the planet. He says, those joints, those things that hold that body together and keep it from falling apart and keep this leg from going that way and this leg from trying to go that way and ripping the body apart, those jo- things that hold, those joints that hold the body together, that is the leaders who step up and respond to God's call. When there's a prompting, hey, there aren't enough people leading children. There aren't enough people leading preteens. There aren't enough people leading teenagers. There aren't enough people leading life groups, young adults. There aren't enough people leading for each service's prayer partners. Whatever it is, I'm just naming a bunch of the things that go on in this church. There aren't enough people leading mission trips around the world. There aren't enough people leading outreach ministries to people who are hurting and underserved in this city. And there's no guilt trip in this for those who are leading. And there's no guilt trip intended for anyone. Just a challenge and a call. If God has ever put something like that in your heart, will you just say, yes, God, I'll step up. You put the people in my life to coach me and equip me. And I promise you, that's what we'll do as a church to the very best of our ability. Oh, We may not get you into that ministry as fast as you want to because when you have the thought, if you're like me, I have the thought, I'm ready to go. That just means I'm called. But you read the New Testament and the church sent out the Apostle Paul years after he was called by God. Why? He wasn't ready yet to be sent out. He had some preparation to do. He had to pay the price in some areas. That's the way it is for all of us. And so, if you'll just say yes to God, he'll see to it that people are in your life who help you become the leader he's calling you to be. And I'm not talking to every person here, so we're going all kinds of directions. But there are some people here where we have some specific things that we are not doing yet as a church. Or that we're not doing as well as we could. Why? Because there are some joints and some ligaments and some muscles and some tendons who are not functioning yet. And our body needs to be as healthy as it possibly can be. And it will be when leaders step up. I remember when God, uh, back before I was even a Christian, I grew up in a Christian home. And during high school, I had this fear that God was going to call me to preach. Or be a missionary in some place in Africa and live in a hut and eat bugs. Those are the stories I'd heard. I'm still pretty grateful that God didn't make me eat bugs. 
I really am. But let me tell you this. I came to Christ after my senior year of high school. During my junior year of college, when God called me to be a pastor, let me tell you what happened. God gave me such a deep burden for his church, for the people of his church, and for knowing him and loving him that I said, God, I don't care what it is. You say what it is, I will do it. And God has done things I never even imagined that I never planned, but I'm so glad he did because I chose at that point in my junior year of college to step up. And I can tell you this, if you'll do that, he'll do some amazing things. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, please? Listen, my deepest desire for every one of you is that you don't end up like that grumpy, grouchy old guy named Carl. Where God had this plan that would seem like a dream in your mind. And you let life get in the way. You let fear get in the way. You let feelings of inadequacy get in the way. You let fear of criticism get in the way. And you didn't begin doing it until way late. And you miss the joy of all of those years of seeing God work in your life. If you would, build up, if that's your calling. Step up, if you're a leader. Continually grow up as a Christian. He will, he will fill you with joy, with grace, with peace, with all you need to follow him, walk with him. There's one other up I didn't mention that I need to mention briefly. If you, if you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, there's another up. It's give up. I think Jesus is saying to you, give up. Give up trying to be good enough. Give up trying to impress him. Give up trying to impress other people. Give up trying to get rid of your own sin. Give up your thoughts that he's angry with you because he loves you more than you ever could imagine. And he wants to forgive you. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to adopt you into his family, his forever family, never to let you go again and make you. A saint, like I said at the beginning of this. He, he wants to make you his child and in his family forever.